There really is nobody like Jesus. There's really nobody like Jesus. believes God is good. I believe it. He's been good to me. I know that. He's been good to me. Amen. Praise the Lord, everyone. It's so good to be together, isn't it? I'm thankful to be together on a Wednesday night. You can be seated tonight. Uh, our young people are uptown having service and, uh, so we, we love our young people, don't we? And as it was mentioned, they are going to St. Louis for North, uh, North American Youth Congress this week. So be in prayer for them. Uh, pray that we have a safe trip. We're staying downtown St. Louis, which St. Louis is not always the most safe. The, it's not always the safest place, as many know. So pray for, for our safety uh, and also the safety of all those that are attending. If you're not aware of, of that meeting, it's a, a very large-scale conference, 40, I, last I've heard is 45, 46,000 or so is expected um, at this event, and so we will be amongst those there, and so just pray that we have a, a safe time, but more than that, just pray that, that, uh, that God really moves in that event. I know He will. His presence, we know, is it's with us always, and I know it's going to be in that arena. And just pray that we allow God to move in our hearts, that our young people would be open to the moving of the Holy Ghost. And if we're open to the moving of the Holy Ghost, God will move. And that's true here tonight. Here on this Wednesday night, I want to be open to the moving of the Holy Ghost. Tomorrow in my day, I want to be open to the moving of the Holy Ghost. This weekend... When I'm by myself, I want to be open to the moving of the Holy Ghost. I promise you this, if you allow God to move in your life, you ask Him to move, and you lay down yourself, He will move. He will show up, because He's always there. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Genesis 22. We're going to do some Bible study tonight. I'm going to look into, and just kind of really go, please be seated tonight, stay seated, because we're just going to be going through this word, and we're going to be reading a scripture and then talking through it and then reading another scripture, and so uh, we'll just kind of be working our way through this tonight. Uh, as was said earlier, if you were here for pre-service prayer, Sister Lloyd uh, spoke just briefly about faith, and tonight we're going to be looking at that father of faith, Abraham, and... Uh, I love what Sister Lloyd said, is when you go to God in faith, He can and He will do anything for us. I believe that. I believe that. God is a faithful God. So as I said, we're talking about Abraham, Isaac tonight, just to preview it. A great uh, chapter about faith, great subjects of faith, but greater than them is the faithful God. And as faithful as we can possibly be, we have this confidence that our God is much more faithful to us than we could ever be to Him. He is faithful. He is good. And so uh, tonight, uh, we, as we go through this chapter, what our focus is and what I would love to, to preach to teach out of the Word of God tonight is about worship. Everyone say worship. Worship. This is the story of Abraham demonstrating his love for God through that offering of his son Isaac. His son Isaac. While also what's happening here is God is, reveals about himself some things. Of course, one, that the sacrifice of human flesh is not the type of uh, sacrifice he desires, a human fleshly sacrifice, but rather a sacrifice of the heart, but while also at the same time, he's pointing forward to a time where there will be an only son, a promised son sacrifice. This is a, a prophetic uh, story as well. It's a beautiful picture of what, uh, of, of what took place on the cross when Jesus Christ became that spotless lamb for you and I. From the foundation of the world. It says, starting in verse 1, that it came to pass after these things that God did tempt 
Abraham. And he tested him. And he, he said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. Behold, here I am. He was listening to the voice of God. I think that's important to pause and, and, and reflect on that. When God spoke, Abraham heard that voice. And in our day and time, in our culture, it's important that we have a listening ear to the voice of God. Because uh, there's all kinds of distractions out there. All kinds of things, all kinds of, of distractions that uh, can catch our attention, our, our focus. We've got one right here, and a lot of us carry it around in our pocket. A lot of us just don't even put it in our pocket anymore. We just carry it around in our hand, so it's a little closer to us. Uh, maybe distraction is just some other things. It can be all kinds of things in your life. It's what you occupy your, your time with, your schedule with. Uh, all kinds of things can get in the way of God trying to speak to us. Speak to us, And I, I think it would be wise for us to be very intentional about how we order our days. Because if we do not order our days or allow God to order our days for us, you know what happens. We fill our days up with so much stuff, with loudness, if you can put it that way. Loudness, it, it, it clutters our, our lives, it clutters our ears, our minds, our, our hearts, where all of a sudden God is, for a lot, of, a lot of times, I know I've been guilty of this, and I'm sure all of us in the room at some time in our life have been guilty of, of not allowing God to have his rightful space in our days, in our weeks. And so God is, he tries to, has to kind of wiggle in there and, and find some space. Maybe we just give him a couple hours a week. God, he deserves much more than that, I think. I think he, he does. And so we need to be intentional about, about our time. And when God spoke to Abraham and he tested him, Abraham, Abraham was there ready to listen. And, and God said in verse 2, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. An offering. And Abraham rose up, it says in verse 3, in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac his son enclaved the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place which God had told him. So notice not only Abraham's immediate response in verse 1 when, when God called him, but also notice his immediate response after God instructed him. And that's two different things. It's two different things and when God speaks and he does instruct us, which he will if we allow him to, it, it takes this thing called obedience to, like Abraham, walk in God's path for our lives, stepping in God's path. And, and that's what Abraham did quickly. It was an immediate response. And, and this is a, a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big, big deal, and Abraham didn't waste time. And when, when God does speak, when he does instruct, it's then up to us to follow after the voice of God, to follow after the will of God. And, and that can be a variety of things. It can be, in this case, for an offering. God is calling you to, to offer something, to give something. Well, it's up to us to be obedient to that, and it's hard to do that because a lot of times when God speaks and instructs us to be, that, to be generous in that way, usually there takes some, it takes some faith on our part. Usually that means that it doesn't make sense. Usually it means it's going to hurt a little bit. That's why God's 
having to push us and, and speak to us in that way. Maybe it's to step into a gift or calling in your life. Maybe God's spoken to you and, and asked you to, to do something. And maybe it's a little outside of your comfort zone. Well, that's a hard thing to do for a lot of people. It's a lot, I say for a lot of people, for all of us. I remember when, when I first felt that call of God to, to, to minister in, in a pulpit ministry and, and, and teaching and preaching, it was uh, very much outside of my comfort zone. If a lot of you knew me growing up, very shy person. In fact, people would, Mindy tells me, because she, uh, she would, like she runs around following Tatum around. She used to follow me around just that same way. And uh, she would say, people would come up to her and say, is, is everything okay with him? He doesn't speak. And uh, maybe some of you remember that. Uh, that is my natural self, reserved, shy. And I remember the very first time that I had the courage, you could say, to step out and, and, and taught on a Wednesday night Bible uh, class, a youth class next door in the old youth room, uh, talked about God being the light. And I taught on that, and none of it made sense. So much so that there was a first-time guest there that, that evening. And, and at the end, I, I opened it up for questions. Does anyone have any questions? And she rose, raised her hand, never seen her, never didn't know who she was. She raised her hand. I said, yes. And she said, well, I think what... Jordan was trying to say was this, and she went on to expound the word of God, what I was trying to say, and the amazing thing is it's not really gotten better, as you know, <laughs> but it's came maybe a little ways from that, but my, my point is if, just speaking out of personal experience, every time that I would, and even now, getting up before you all, standing, teaching, preaching, it is outside of my comfort zone. But if I stay in my comfort zone, I am dishonoring the word of God for my life. I'm dishonoring the instruction of God for my life, the call of God for my life. And, and when you are living outside of the calling of God for your life, you better watch out. <laughs> And you better be careful. And, and I'll tell you this, when you are living outside of the will and calling of God for your life, there's going to be a discontentment there. And while, while walking in God's will sometimes is, is tough and difficult, when you know God has called you and you are disobedient to that calling, there is there's a... There is a form of discontentment that, that you have to wrestle with. And, and it's better just to give in to God than to wrestle that discontentment day after day, isn't it? Has anybody been there? I know I've been there before. And so I say all that to say that it's, it's God's desire that we follow after his voice, after his will. And, and Abraham is a great example of us, of someone that when God spoke, he heard and he obeyed. And he took steps in the will of God. We know and we read about it throughout the book of Genesis. He is that great example of faith to us. He is, as I said earlier, called the father of faith in Romans 4.16. He's a a believer, you could say, in the voice of God. Believing that God's voice is, is that relevant voice for us to listen to and obey. And, and also Hebrews tells us about Abraham throughout the, throughout the book of the writer of, um, throughout the book of Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews continues to speak about Abraham's faith. And one of the things he, he says about him and, and the reason, one of the reasons why Abraham was quick to respond to the voice of God and follow after the will of God in this specific story was the fact that he believed that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. He believed that. That's amazing faith to believe that if I offer my son 
as a sacrifice. If I kill my, my, my son, God will raise him up. I mean, that's amazing faith. So he went, understand, fully prepared, fully prepared in this story to, to offer up his son as a sacrifice because he believed that when he did offer him up, God would raise him from the dead. That's amazing to me. And Abraham, he had this promise that this son Isaac, that he was the one. He was the promised child. He was that one which, which God would bless. In Genesis 12, it's, it's the original call of God. God told Abram at that time, I will make thee, in verse 2, a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curse thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. An amazing promise. And in chapter 15, a couple chapters later, when the covenant was reaffirmed, the Lord said in verse 5, he said, Look now towards heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. In other words, your seed, your seed, Abraham, will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Abraham, you, I mean, he could have said, you old man, Abraham. Your seed, it's going to be this enormous thing. And this is something that only God could do. Abraham, in his old age, this we have to realize and understand that I think we do, that, that this would be a miracle from God. God's promise, it required a miracle. It was a God-sized promise, a God-sized dream. And many times, God will give us those God-sized promises and dreams. Those things that don't make sense in the natural. Those things that if we add everything, every component that we can think of together and try to make it make sense, it just doesn't. That's the type of promises that God will give you and I if we are sensitive to listen to them and if we have faith to believe that he is able to be a fulfiller of those promises. And if your dreams and your, your promises are, are small, I would encourage you to, to have a little talk with Jesus because he will give you a God-sized dream that requires us to have faith to believe in something that we cannot see, to believe in something we cannot put together and add up. God gives those to, to us. And he gave that to Abraham and Sarah. In verse 15, in chapter 15, 6, it's the following verse of what I just read. It says that Abram at the time believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. Now, in the next chapter, in verse 16, we do read, though, that Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children and that they took matters into their own hands. They tried to rush the promise, you could say. They, they, you've got to understand, years, someone say years, years had went by between that initial promise and the fulfillment of that promise. And here they are in the middle of being caught between the promise being given and the fulfillment of that promise. And day turns into week, and week turns into month, and month turns into season, and season turns into year, and year turns into five years, and, and, and on down the line. And all of a sudden, that promise that was once so, felt so close to them, I believe, all of a sudden, I'm sure, felt very far away. And what you do in the time between the promise being given and the fulfillment of that promise is very important. The faith that you possess and the, in between that time. Brother Peffer Sunday talked about being in between your past and your future, and, and 
And being in between your promise that was given and, and the fulfillment of that, whatever it may be, is not always the easiest place to be in. And it requires us to, to keep believing even when we are not doing a lot of seeing. It means believing in God and trusting that he is not only a promise giver, but he is a promise keeper. Believing that God works even if it's not in, not in our time schedule and it's not in our time. Believing that God still is faithful and that he works. And in and, and this moment, it tells us that, that Abram and Sarai, they, they rushed the promise and he went in unto Hagar, verse 4 tells us in chapter 16, and she conceived and Ishmael would be born. And this, of course, was not God's will. But by the grace of God in chapter 17, God would once again renew his covenant with Abram. Now, naming him Abraham, it says in Genesis 17, 5, For a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kinds shall come out of thee. And then if you fast forward even more into Genesis 21, we see that Isaac, Isaac, that promised one, is born. He was the son of promise, born of Sarah, the one that in Genesis 17, 19, God said he would establish his covenant with for an everlasting covenant with his seed after him. That is that Isaac that would be born. And Abraham had faith that Isaac was the promised son. He had been through some tough stuff by this time. Having to send away Ishmael, having to, I mean, that was, you read it and you can just, feel the love of a father having to depart having his son be departed from him i mean i can't i cannot as a father i can't begin to know what that feels like and understand the pain but all throughout that god was reassuring abraham and that this isaac was that son of promise this was that son to hold on to. Abraham, you're, you're going to send this son away, but I have another son for you. I have another son that is the son of promise. And just in a moment when Abraham, I believe, thinks he's going to hold on to a son, God calls Abraham to offer that very same son on an altar. He was asking him to give back, you could say, the promise. You know, Abraham, here's your promised son. Wait, Abraham, actually go ahead and offer that back to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test your faith, Abraham. I'm going to see what you're really made of, Abraham. Give back to me what I have given you. And this is an enormous ask, an enormous offering that it's an extravagant offering, you could say, that God is calling Abraham to do and, and to, to, to offer. And God was testing Abraham's faith, his love, his, and, and most importantly, his obedience. Obedience to God. And we know obedience, how important that is in Scripture it's, it's better than sacrifice. It's, it is what God is calling us to. And so he's putting him to the test. He's saying, what do you love more, Abraham? Do you love me or do you love your promise more? And it tells us, I'll read it again, verse 3 of chapter 22, that Abraham rose up early in the morning. And he saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place of which God had told him. And then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. 
It's beginning to be very real. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and do what? And worship. And come again to you. He's saying, I've, I've got to go and I've got to offer something to God. Abram's looking at those, those, peop- those, those, lad- those people with him and saying, I, I and my son, we're going to go and we're going to worship. And that worship, it's this offering that God is calling me to give. And if I am a worshiper, I have to fulfill the word of God for my life. If I am to be a worshiper, if we are going to worship, we have to go and make an offering. This is actually the first time that this word worship is mentioned in the Bible. Worship, this this offering, this sacrifice. It's that law of first usage here in Scripture. And worship, it it means, uh, if you look at that word, it's to prostrate oneself or to bow down. The lowering of oneself. It is valuing him, that being God, more than anything else. And that's what we are called to do. Now, in that same sense, we can worship anything. And many times, if we're honest, we can be guilty of worshiping all of the wrong things in our lives. Valuing things. Valuing possessions. Valuing our our schedule. Valuing uh, a job maybe above God. Valuing uh, a a dream that's not God-given. Valuing... An idea, a celebrity maybe, a, a, a sports team or an activity. What you, everyone For everyone it's different. Those things that if we are not careful and we, going back to the beginning, we're not intentional about those things that will creep up in our lives. And it's up to us to keep God first. You shall have no other gods before me, he said. And while all of us in the room wouldn't, I believe, intentionally put things before God and and just casually and say, you know, I'm I'm going to elevate this bottle of water before God. But if we're not careful... Our time will indicate what we or who we worship. And if we aren't careful, our time will tell a story of a worshiper of possessions or of of all kinds of things. And, And so God is calling us at West Monroe Apostolic Church. He's calling people, everyone that he's created to be a worshiper of him, putting him First, valuing him above everything else. And worship, what it is, it's, it's someone taking something that we value, that he or she values. And, and it's giving it to God because, because he, God, is worthy of the things that I value the most. The things that I value the most, God is worthy of those things. And so I must offer them. And that's what Abraham did. He took that thing that he valued the most, that promise, that promise that had been given years before, decades before actually. And and he put that offering on an altar. Abraham loved the promise, yet he loved the God of the promise. And the promise keeper even more. So he gave. He gave his best. And that's what God is calling all of us to do. To give our best. To be someone who is willing to give their best at all times. To give God their first fruits. To give to God the, the first of our time, our, our attention, our our schedule, our attitude, to give God our first 
fruits. Worship, it's not a style of music. It's not just a, a scheduled time in our church service. Worship is a way of life. It is the way we conduct ourselves, both here when we're together as well as when we go home and we're with our families or by ourselves, when we're at work, when we're with strangers. It's the way we live our life. It's about humbling ourselves and lowering ourselves. It's bowing down. It's submission. It's giving. It's offering. It's obedience. It's offering to God our, our very best. This is not just a Sunday thing. While it is a Sunday thing, it is a Wednesday thing. It's also a Monday through Friday thing. Giving God our best, being authentic as Christians, as believers, being people of integrity, people that, that, that give God our everything. Think about it when we, when we say giving, giving an offering, for example. None of, if tonight I was going to say we're going to give an offering unto the Lord. There's, no one's reaching into your wallet or your pocketbook and forcing you to, to give a certain amount. If, if they are, then we have a response team here, and they'll take care of that. But that is something that we willingly willingly give and and are and give of of what of what we have it, it is it is something it's there's no one holding uh standing in in front of you saying that well funny story i guess in the church that my my mother my grandmother grew up uh grew up in in michigan i hear the story that there wasn't there was an usher there that would stand before them with with the pot and if you, if you put just maybe a dollar in, they would say, dig a little deeper, and they would stand there. <laughs> now, we're not going to do that at West Monroe. We, we're not going to um, force you uh, to give. But, but giving is very much a sign of, of our worship. And, and sometimes when we discuss giving, giving financially money uh, in churches, uh, this church, other churches, sometimes people do kind of get upside down about it. And, uh, you know, you hear sometimes, and I've heard it in, in certain settings, why are they taking an offering here? And why are they doing that? Now, people give different ways here. We, we give a, we have the buckets in the back. We sometimes have offerings here and and we have a variety of, of things and lots of things we give to. We've been coming before you with many things. Mother's Memorial, Building Fund. Here in the month of August, we'll be giving towards Move the Mission. And our church has pledged $15,000 to, to move the mission. Uh, a very extravagant gift for our church. But by faith, I believe we're going to hit that mark. Uh, but I'll tell you this, that there is nothing in Scripture more tied to worship than our willingness to give. Our willingness to give, it, it is our worship to God. When we are stingy, that's, that's not worship. But when we are willing to give, when we have a heart of, of giving, a heart of generosity, that is worship to God. It's giving is what indicates where our heart really is. And so offering, giving, it's, it's what worship is all about. And with Abraham and Isaac here in Genesis 22, we see the ultimate picture of giving and offering and sacrifice and what that looks like. A father offering up his son on a burnt offering. A father offering his promised child as a burnt offering. Verse 6 says that Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son and he took the fire in his hand and a knife and they went both of them together and Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, my father, and he said, here am I my son. And he said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? 
And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Can we just be, just take a moment, time out for praise and thank the Lord that he provided himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Thank you, Jesus. I'm so thankful because that offering changed my life. It changed my destiny. That's what God does for us. I talked about being faithful to God. That is the faithfulness of my God. That he provided an offering for me, for you. And Abraham Abraham had faith that he was going to provide one for his son Isaac. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there. And he laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. He built an an altar, an altar of of sacrifice, an altar of sacrifice, a, a place of death he prepared. Now, we live in a in a time where we've become further and further from the altar. we become further and further from it. You think back, especially in the Old Testament, as they, as they brought those offerings to be burnt, and how gruesome and gory and bloody it really was to think that, that I have sinned, but this offering will push back and it was a very real thing. And us in our culture, we, we are very far removed from that. And, and with that said, we become very, our, our perspective of the altar is very far removed sometimes from what it really should be. And this altar, this, this place that we have, it's, it's a place of, of death. It's a place of sacrifice. It's a, a, very, a very necessary thing for us. We need an altar. We, I'm going to say it again. We need to find an altar in our lives. And, and we live in a time where, where churches even don't have altars. We, we live in a time where church, a lot of churches don't even have altar calls or alter time at the end of their services and, and don't give that opportunity that at the end of the message for, for us, for, for people to, to offer themselves before God and say, God, I want what's best for me in my life. I, I want you more. I lay down myself. I, I put to death myself for your will. And in many places, the, the word goes forth and they pray a, a simple prayer and say, thank you for coming. We'll See you again next week. And I'm thankful that, that we still take that time. That we take that time and, to offer ourselves. And while in that moment, I, I will say this as, as, as your pastor, sometimes I am very discouraged at the participation in our altar services. And it's not getting better. I was grieved a couple weeks ago when Brother Weston Parrish was here. and He preached just a phenomenal word and, and poured his heart out and, and, and gave us space, a time to come forward and to offer our needs before the Lord. And a moment full of faith, believing that God can meet all of those needs if we first offered ourselves. And I watched as 30% of the congregation came forward while 70% sat back. And while I was praying and praying for people, I also thought, God, wake us up. Here you are with an open door. And we can't take one step out of our seat and 10 steps down to an altar. And I would caution you, if you do not make time to come to this altar, You do not know when your last altar call will be. 
Now, we, we don't believe in forcing you to an altar. That's, that's a choice. It will always be a choice. But if this is an unfamiliar place to you, I would caution you. And I would ask you to examine yourself. To look into yourself and say, am I placing my life on an altar? Because if you're not placing yourself on an altar here, it's hard for me to believe that you're placing yourself on an altar at home. When we have a dedicated time and space. And so I'm, we'll never force you to the altar. But I can't wait for the day when, when we have 70% participation and 30% are sitting back. I can't wait for the day when we have 80% participation and 90% participation and 100% participation. Because I truly believe that God still works in an altar services. I still believe that you can be changed when you place yourself on an altar. I believe that your sins can be forgiven. I believe that your body can be healed. I believe that you can be delivered. I believe your life can be changed. And I know that God can do it in your seat. I know he can. But when you take a step of faith, I think God looks at us and he honors that. And I would also caution us, when we come to an altar to examine the way we conduct ourselves in an altar. Because sometimes when we come to an altar, we, we come and we... We stand. We observe. We sing maybe what they're singing. I've, I've asked our music team to a lot of times... Just to have some moments where maybe they, they have some soft music playing, but where we're not reliant on worship songs to guide us through the altar service. This, once again, this altar is a sacred space, an important place. And it is an opportunity for us all to worship God, to give of our best, to offer Him that thing that we have, those things that we have, we value in our life, believing that if I give God my best, He has a better for me on the other side of my sacrifice. I believe it today. It was on the altar that Abraham and Isaac, that they worshiped God. It was in that place, that sacred space, that Abraham and Isaac worshipped their God. It's the word of God. This, this sacred word. This word of life that should provoke us. And it does when you get into it. It provokes us and leads us to a place of humility. It leads us to the altar, you could say. It leads us to sacrifice. It's the word of God that, that identifies the waywardness of my flesh. It identifies the things in my life that need changed. Because when I read the word of God and when I hear the word of God, it, it reveals to me a little bit more this wonderful God we serve. It was in Isaiah 6 that the prophet said in the, the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Fast forwarding to verse 5, he said, then, I, then said I, after seeing the Lord, woe is me, for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the glory have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. It was when he saw the Lord that he was brought to this place of humility, saying, woe is me. Woe is me, for I am 
undone. And when we get that glimpse of God, there should be that response. When, when I see God, there should be a response that happens in my life. And the reason sometimes we struggle in our worship is because we've blinded ourselves from God. We've stopped reading his word. We've stopped praying. We've stopped fasting maybe. We've, we've let some disciplines go. And when those things happen, true worship doesn't come out of our lives. When we blind ourselves to God, we've simply, when we cut him out of our agenda, it's impossible for true worship to go forth. Scripture tells us in 1 John 1, 5 that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And when we cut, out, cut him out of our lives, our schedule, our agenda, what we are doing is blinding ourselves from the light of the glory of God. And so if giving, if giving is a struggle for me, if praying, if praying, spending time with God is a struggle, if reading his word, spending time with him is a struggle, I can't stand here tonight and say I am a worshiper because I have not given him my everything. Because there is something in between me and him. And God is looking for some true worshipers who are willing to put anything that is in between them and God on an altar. To sacrifice it. To burn it up. To kill it. To stop it in its tracks. God is looking for us to be those worshipers. It's worshipers. It's not just about how loud we shout, how, how fast we run around the aisles. I think those things are great. They are a part of our outward expression of, of worship, but that if I do those things, but I can't bring my first fruits, then I'm not a worshiper. If, if I say, God, I, I have a list of the things that I want you to do, but don't have any expectations from me, I'm not a worshiper, if I'm someone who wants God to do my will, who prays the prayer, Lord, let my will be done, not your will. Now, we don't pray that prayer, but, but we think it sometimes. Yeah. If I'm living that way, I'm not a worshiper. Because worship from its very beginning is saying, God, I give this to you. God, I give you this. I offer you my time, my talent, my treasure, my attitude, everything. It's saying there is something more valuable than the temporary things that I do. Kind of moving towards, towards the end here in Genesis 22.10, it says that Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not, upon, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket. By his horns, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Jehovah-Jireh, we interpret that, the Lord will provide. And when God or when Abraham, pardon me, brought his most valuable thing, when he brought that thing, when he brought his promise, you could say, what did God do? He provided. And that's just simply what God does. God provides when we worship him. When I'm obedient, 
God provides. When I give of my first fruit, God provides. When it was in Mark 8.35 that Jesus said, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And to be his disciple, it begins with that, denying ourselves. And taking up his cross and following him, it doesn't, it doesn't mean going around and, and, and carrying crosses on our back, but it means following God. And when you follow God, when he had that cross, what did he do? He went to a hill and he died on that cross. And God is calling all of us to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and, and become obedient to that death, to die out to our own will, our own agendas, our self-centeredness that we are so guilty of, our desires, our priorities, our attitudes. God is calling us to lay those things down because we believe that on the other, other side of that sacrifice that there is something so much greater for us. Of course, we know this. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice for he so loved the world that he gave. Hebrews 12, 2, it says it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. It, it's this amazing thing that what came after that sacrifice he knew was greater than what was before it. It was my salvation, your salvation. It was something greater. And when we deny ourselves and take up our cross, and we die out to our self-will. I truly believe that there is something greater. They used to sing, it will be worth it all. I truly believe that. That it will be worth it all. It will be worth it all. Would you stand today? I, I cannot... Get it out of my mind tonight how faithful God is to us. How he provided so that my story and your story would be better than it ever would be without him. And my story and your story will always be better on the other side of sacrifice. Whether it looks better down here or not, on the other side, it's going to be better. It's going to be greater. It's going to be worth it. And so tonight, I know it's Wednesday. It may be a little later than usual. I don't know. I haven't. Our screens aren't working, as you see, so I don't have my clock. So if I've been preaching two, two hours, then I'm sorry. Just teaching two hours. But, but if we can, can we just spend a little time worshiping God? Can we spend some time in the altar just offering ourselves, offering anything that we need to offer tonight? And, and I would ask that we not underestimate this moment, but we choose this time and value this moment and give God our very best. In Jesus' name.